is you get up in the morning and ask yourself, how important is it for you to be an effective communicator? Just ask that question. How important is it? And I think for most people, it's very important. And so it gets down to this idea of illusory superiority. It's like, let go of the idea that you got this. You know what? You don't got this. All right, my friends, welcome back to the Freestyle Way, a podcast where we talk about maximizing life. And today we're talking about performance-based communication with my friend, mentor, Thomas Reed. Uh, Tom is someone who has been in my corner now for several years. I met him at one of my seminars as he was a student and uh, he, at the end of the seminar, came through and uh, simply shared with me what he was up to in his business. And one of the things that he was doing was uh, management and representation of athletes and coaches like myself in the fitness and athletic space. And uh, although I needed someone like Tom, I pushed Tom away in good old Carl fashion, and I told him, just call me in six months. And uh, what did Tom do? Well, he called me six months later on the dot. And we actually had one of the greatest conversations I've had ever. And the reason it was such a great conversation was because Tom let me be me through and through. And he let me share everything that was on my mind, my intentions, my business, my relationships in a way that I felt safe. And what Tom did with that information was he passed it back to me in a way where I could now articulate what was really going on and how people could relate to my information. And this is where it all really began. So today, what we're going to really talk about is we're going to talk about the art of performance-based communication through a tool that Tom has developed as a trained therapist and investor and venture capitalist uh, that will give you really easy guidelines on how to develop the skill of communication so you can achieve what Tom calls positive outcomes, which is what we ultimately all are looking for in this world. So without further ado, here is Thomas Reed. You, you can see me. You don't need to see me for the actual podcast. Is that right? It's just going to be... You are audio. beautiful, but this is what they say. Uh, we, we both, in this case, have radio faces. Dude, the people need to know how gorgeous we are. <laughs> That's true. See? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm coming out. <laughs> well, just, How wonderful I am. <laughs> just, just so you know, I'm I'm pumped about this whether they see our faces or not, they're going to hear our voices and I'm excited that you would take the time out of your I know your busy schedule uh to make it happen. So I'm fired up. Absolutely. I love it. It's almost like a bumper intro. I love it. I see <laughs> you're good. Uh, yeah, right. Um I, I, I want to start by acknowledging that when we did our uh, pre-interview interview, you mentioned that you needed to stand up. Yeah, I got the energy, right? Are, are, you, are, you, are you standing right now? I'm standing. I'm standing, yeah. just like you. Because we I'm have just, energy. I'm just awkwardly close to uh, the, the <laughs> camera, so you, you see my, my beautiful face. Your face is your face is filling the entire screen. <laughs> it's good though; it's fine. 
I've awesome. seen it. <laughs> well, let's get, let's get into this business. First and foremost, we are talking about performance-based communication with Tom Reed, Thomas Reed. That's me. Why don't we start with a simple question to start oh, with? No. What? <laughs> By the way, guys, this is how the dynamic goes with Tom and myself. We, we're constantly uh, laughing at our own jokes. Um, and, and they're not even jokes. I, I don't know why it's, it's funny, but it's funny. What is performance-based communication? You hit me with an easy one, right? So... You know, so task, right? Task, performance-based communication started really with a search for and an analysis of why are people doing what they're doing, okay? And what outcomes are people trying to get? And, and so a bit, little background on me is I've started a company uh, in the mental health space. I'm a licensed clinician as well as a business consultant, executive coach. And so building a business from zero employees and me and a business partner to close to 400 people, I was making observations along the way about how people perform. And I, I, I hit upon this idea of a continuum of effort versus performance. And you and I have talked about this before, right? So this idea, it became clear to me that people were doing things for reasons that they believed were well-intended, that they were doing a good job. But in essence, they weren't really performing at a level that they could perform. So I started toying with this idea of effort versus performance. And that really led to this idea of, okay, what is communication other than people trying to get a positive outcome? So the complex answer to your simple question is people, it's my observation and I believe uh, backed with some um, social psychological research that people in general are trying to achieve a positive outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you, I'm, I'm in 100% agreement with that. Mm-hmm. And if you, and if as a communicator, which I think most of us in our, in our daily life are doing it all day long, right? You're texting, you're emailing, you're talking. So you're communicating, but the question is, how effective are you being when you communicate? So that's this idea of performance-based communication. Are you getting the outcomes that you want? And are the people around you who you're talking with, are they getting the outcomes that they want? I love it. Well, I have many questions for you. Mm -hmm. And just in hearing you speak, uh, the first thing you said was task. And task is something we're going to talk about, which besides it being the title of your book, yeah, <laughs> just finished writing is also this tool that you've developed for uh, performance-based communication that people can implement into their lives and utilize to get what you just said, which was positive outcomes. I Absolutely. Guess my, yeah, yeah I guess I guess my follow-up question is: uh, you, you gave a little brief history of of what you do. Someone who has been in the mental health uh, space. Mm-hmm. Why do you think communication uh, became the pillar of the work that you're doing? Oh, wow. Okay, that's intense. So for the better part of 30 years, I've worked with people who the community would consider high-risk individuals, people who are involved in gangs, maybe trying to get out of being in a gang, people who are 
uh, violating laws, uh, people who have uh, mental illness or personality disorders. And something that I observed over the years with consistency is that people in general, right, people even who are doing bad things, unlawful things, however you want to describe that, right? People wanted or want a positive outcome for themselves. And I would ask myself and I would ask them, I was like, okay, have you met you? Are you looking at the things that you're doing? And then asking, is that the best pathway to getting a positive outcome? And, and for, the, for, for them in that moment, the answer was yes. They were trying to do things that were resulting in positive outcomes. So for me, that, that mission, what, what my driving mission is, and really how I start the book is, it is an absolute obsession of mine. Did you, just break, did you break the number one rule of not turning off your phone? <laughs> <laughs> I did. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah, so, so yeah, that's going to get edited. So um, not. It's, an absolute, <laughs> it's an absolute obsession of mine to help people communicate effectively because I found that when people do that, they have a significantly higher chance of getting those outcomes that they're looking for. Yeah, I think this is a big one you're hitting on. And for me, as someone who uh, has uh, been now a foster parent and adopted a child and been in the foster care space, I've also on the sidelines been able to witness how uh, these uh, people who are part of a system uh, from the professionals to the kids are all trying to achieve positive outcomes. And uh, all these rules are set into place and uh, ways of doing things are, are implemented uh, for people to achieve these positive outcomes. But somehow we fail to communicate how to achieve those positive outcomes and in return define what those positive outcomes really are. And I think in many ways, what you're saying is that we're all trying to express ourselves. Sometimes it comes out in a way that is not acceptable. Uh, murder is probably not a, a positive outcome when you think about it from a basic moral perspective. But some murderers uh, maybe kill with a positive intention. Uh, Let me give you an example. Let me yeah, give you an example. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to get to that point. Give me an example of something that you've experienced. That uh, let, me, let me bail you out of that murderer's good path that we were going towards. Well, that's <laughs> that's how crazy it gets in this, in this, right? in this world. So, so about three years ago in um, in North Carolina, a lady got up one morning, put her two toddlers in the back seat of her car. She strapped them in, and then she drove her car down to the lake and, and drove the car into the lake. Uh, I, I probably wouldn't tell this story except it has a somewhat happy ending in that people who were fishing at the lake jumped in the water and rescued the two children and her. So no one died in the situation. And so, of course, in the forensic um, interview with the police, and she's in, she's in prison, by the way, uh, in the forensic interview, the police, of course, asked this lady, why'd you do it? Her answer, maybe surprisingly, maybe not surprisingly, is or was, the world is an evil, awful place. 
And I wanted to protect my children from that. And I wanted to take them to heaven with me. So in that situation, the behavior is negative. But the intention is positive. Yeah, that's that's pretty scary. And and that's kind of where I was going with this is uh, the other day I was sitting on the couch and, and talking to my kid and she was telling me about uh, a friend of hers that got shot um, in her neighborhood. And those that shot this kid shot him because he was in the wrong place and they are there to protect their neighborhood, their space Mm. and their people. So their intentions are to protect and keep their family safe. But the outcome, unfortunately, like you said, is negative. Do you believe that if we as human beings become better communicators, we can get to a point where we eliminate the majority of the negative outcomes? Wow, that's intense. So, so I don't know about that, but here's how I'll answer that is, I know that if we can get better at communicating or more effective at communicating, each day you're going to experience more significant positive outcomes. And those, those, will, those experiences will stack on top of each other and you will influence not just the people in your life, the people that you touch, but then you're going to also influence people that they go and touch. So it has a cathartic effect. I don't know how far downstream you have to go before you can say that, that if what you described is achieved. But I'm, I'm pretty set. I'm pretty confident that if I can do a good job communicating or help other people do a good job communicating, uh, that's going to contribute towards that outcome you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. I, I, I believe it's, uh, we're talking about generations right now. The problem we're, we're facing, I guess, is, is the modern world where technology is influencing how we communicate social media. Oh and this God. is something in your book, you mm-hmm. actually open up by uh, addressing the history of communication. Which I, well, let's be clear. I have no business doing that, right? I'm not a history professor. I'm not a history expert, but we all have the same access to history and we can read about it and whatnot so if you go back let's just spend a second on this is that's cool you go back uh, you know anthropologically we keep pushing back the calendar uh the experts on when you know formal communication started but let's for argument's sake say a couple hundred thousand years you know we had uh some language we had um cave art say or smoke signals you know these rudimentary ways of communicating uh, if you're, if I'm looking at you and making noises or talking, that's direct or synchronous communication. If I'm drawing on a, a, a painting on a rock uh, face or in a cave that is seen for generation, that's asynchronous. You know, we're not directly communicating; it's indirect. So anyway, so for hundreds of thousands of years, right, we've had this uh, asynchronous communication. And really, if you go back to what the, 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 uh, the printing press, uh, here's a history quiz for you. The, the, the book, the, the, the book that was the first book or the most popular book printed on the first printing press in the 1500s was what? I have no clue. Tell me. Oh, the Bible. <laughs> yeah. But, but anyway, so the printing press obviously was the internet of its time. And my point in the book is just simply like, hey, in the last 50 or 100 years with telephone 
pagers, um, and then wireless communication, that if you measure that against a couple hundred thousand years, we are literally just not even a hair on that timeline. And, you know, we get all this power now in our hands, right? The power to communicate synchronously, asynchronously. And what do we do with that power, Carl, in our hands? We send dick pics, mm. right? That's what we do. So, you know, it's a very, well, I would call that a very ineffective use of that powerful technology. So my supposition is that we are scrambling to catch up to the power that is in our hands. And that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this subject. So, and I hope that, that, that that's not a joke that I make about using cell phones for inappropriate pictures. Like I'm serious, like we have all this power, we are not using it responsibly. And so it's part of my mission in life to help people identify the value of communication. Yeah, I, I am in in a hundred percent agreement with you, and it's clear that the age that we live in right now moves so fast because of the exchange of information that we are in many ways getting way worse at communicating what we really intend to communicate. And one of the things that I've learned from being married <laughs> to Tanya is that. She does not speak unless she has formulated a, a very concise or, as you say, simple, clear, and compelling That's right. <laughs> argument for herself. Uh, and I think this is important. We, we feel like we need to pull the trigger right now. Do you believe that that is maybe step one to uh, even beginning to communicate effectively? Being able to... Um, Mm -hmm. think before you speak well maybe you know and, and you brought up your the example of your wife you know I, if she were on the call right now i would ask her uh, with the supposition that it's important to you it would be a question it's important to you to communicate effectively and my guess is that she would say yes exactly that's why i take so much time to formulate my thoughts and so, you know, we're not doing, you know, marriage therapy right now, but if, in a, if, if you're in a relationship or friendship or work relationship, whatever, and, some, and something is irritating you, like, man, they take so long to get back to me. You know, they take so long to formulate their thoughts. Uh, I think, we, you know, we could talk about, again, the positive intention that people do things for a reason that's well-intended, even if that thing they're doing is negative or against the law. In this situation, Tanya... It has a, has a great intent, and she's actually very effective as a, mm -hmm. as a communicator as a result. I agree. So it would not be effective, and in your situation, you're not, you're not doing it, so I'm not accusing you of it, but let's just pretend for a second that you were getting irritated with her. Then that would not be an effective communication because you would not be recognizing her intention of wanting to be an effective or accurate communicator. Well, this is what we can go down this rabbit hole where I have been irritated many times by her slow, quote unquote, slow <laughs> communication style. But once I understood that Ooh. being an effective communicator was very important to her and was a core value of hers, Ooh. all of a sudden now my expectations were set. I knew what was up and I was able to better communicate with her. I feel like that's alignment. That's alignment. 
Yeah, that's alignment. And I feel like right now with technology, what we are experiencing is that uh, the culture has changed in terms of how we communicate. Mm -hmm. And in ways, each channel of communication, whether it's text message, uh, direct message over Instagram, comments, uh, calls, voicemail, emails, they all have a different expectation, a different culture a different way of communicating. And this in many ways can confuse us. And I think this is where I want to now transition into uh, a concept that you bring up with me many times, which is the concept of cognitive dissonance. Wow. Okay. Well, well let me, let me uh, give the brief uh, summary of it and then maybe you can talk from your experience with it. So cognitive dissonance is a theory, the law of cognitive dissonance formulated in the 1950s by a sociologist. Did you know that? I had no clue. Yeah. It wasn't a psychologist or it was a sociologist. And, and at the time, you know, post-World War II, people were trying to figure out how could human beings, okay, Nazis and, and, and SS prison guards and so forth, how could they treat other human beings so horribly. And so one of the theories that came out of that was this idea that uh, cognitive dissonance, that people do things that could be very negative, but in their minds, they believe they're doing the right thing. So there's this idea that as human beings, we are wired for consonants, that our behaviors and our thoughts run in the same direction. And that when our behaviors and thoughts don't run in the same direction, that causes friction or dissonance, and that we, as human beings, will be try to resolve that dissonance by changing a thought or a behavior. So, so that's, that's the law of cognitive dissonance. Now, how does that affect you? What, what interaction have you had with that? What have we talked about with that? Well, we talked about several things uh, when it comes to my career or my relationship or managing my relationship with um, uh, my kid, the, the way I present myself to the world. And what I believe to be true uh, is not necessarily true to others. And, yeah. uh, and this is something that you've done a really great job with me at uh, aligning what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, and how I'm expressing that in a way where there's consonants. And I believe that a lot of us are suffering from cognitive dissonance uh, mm -hmm. for many reasons. And one of them is, is our inability to, one, see the expectations that are set through the communication um, tools that exist today. And uh, two, trying to figure out how, how uh, to express uh, who we are through these channels. I'm wondering, uh, have you found... Uh, in particular through social media, which is not something that you do uh, actively a lot. You don't use it actively a lot, but you, you are on it and you're watching. I know you're, you're there. <laughs> I, I see you. <laughs> so creepy. <laughs> yeah, because you're a student of the game and you're constantly evolving. Right. Right. What have you seen uh, been failed strategies in terms of people's communication on social media with these new technologies? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So for me, the thing that I'm searching for, whether it be with social media, because really, really what it is is just people wanting to connect with each other, right? And so when you're connecting or trying to connect, this idea of alignment 
gets lost, in my opinion, it gets a little lost in social media. And, you, you know, I'm not one of those people who rails against social media, but I do see a trend of this idea that people are presenting to the world a facsimile of their life. Like, hey, look how good I look in this lighting. I'm going to go ahead and post that in social media, right? And so we're like, we're shaping uh, our world, our experiences and, and people's uh, interaction with us on social media, I think that's a little reckless, to be frank. I don't find it to be authentic. And it's one of the reasons that I'm fairly limited on social media. But I am a student of the game. And so uh, I do believe that we as a culture, as a people, you know, we do a good job course correcting things. So I think this idea of authenticity will continue to become more popular as people get saturated, right, with this idea that you have to look a certain way uh, to be appreciated. Mm-hmm. Does does uh, does that perception uh, of uh, seeing so? Let's say I go on social media. I go on Instagram right now. I'm scrolling through, and I see someone uh, with uh, their T-shirt off, and they look uh, ripped and <laughs> on a beautiful beach somewhere, and uh, living their best life. If if I am currently sitting in my office working my ass off and I see that uh, and I get a little uh, maybe reactive or uh, jealous or wonder <laughs> what am I doing wrong? It, yeah. it, is that what one could consider cognitive dissonance in a way? Yeah, I think so. Especially if you're sitting there going, you mother. <laughs> you're looking at that picture and the, the ironic part is the person you know with the picture you know maybe they're selling something it's like they think oh i'm, I'm I, hey i don't care what you think as long as i sell five bottles of you know shaving cream or whatever mm-hmm. then, then i'm getting paid yeah social media is, is blurring the lines uh, between healthy communication I, I feel like i'm lecturing now the audience i apologize but it's you know this idea of blurring the line i don't like it you know me i like clear communication so i i'm not sure where this is all going to be frank with social media but i, I i'm interested to see yeah well you know my i'm interested to see too and and this is one of the reasons i want to talk to you about this because i believe that people who are listening here people who i interact with on a daily basis they are struggling to communicate uh, mm-hmm. on social media. They're also struggling to communicate in person. So uh, there's the the cognitive dissonance that's happening individually and collectively, and it's uh, and it's creating this gap that is, uh, I believe, uh, creating a, a, a huge sense of dissatisfaction in people. And uh, not allowing them to really pursue uh, their talents and their skills and the things that they're passionate about and contribute in a way that has a positive outcome. And my goal is to have conversations like this so we can arrive at a place where we can develop strategies over time that will allow people to interact on social media, uh, experience social media in a way that does not create cognitive dissonance but actually consonants that's amazing you you know that was a very powerful uh, articulation carl well thank you (laughs) i learned from the best (laughs) if i'm done uh complimenting you so you said you started that articulation with people are struggling to communicate and and i would push back on that gently saying i think people are actually um communicating just fine 
what, what I would question is, are they effectively communicating, right? People are communicating all day long, unfortunately. So, so what I, I'm wondering if um, now is a good time to talk about the four tools, because if, you know, if people, it's my belief that people want to be effective communicators and that uh, when they struggle, it's simply because they either lack the skills or lack the awareness to do so. Is that cool if we jump into some skills? I would love to. And, and, and before we do that, I, mm-hmm. I think something that you address in the book before you jump into the four tools, mm-hmm. which um, I, I can't wait to get into, you talk about uh, the importance of defining the difference between performance and effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So, so performance-based communication, like I was saying, was born out of that, that, that tension. So there's this idea of illusory superiority and some social psychological research around this concept that in general, people overestimate their ability to do something like say, let's say drive safely, for example. And so one way to analyze that now, I'll, this is a pop quiz to you, Carl, and mm-hmm. to the audience, <laughs> you can pl- you play along at home is I'll, I'll ask the question um, or make the observation. Most people want to get from point A to point B in a car safely. Like no one, most, <laughs> nobody wants to get in a car accident, fundamental, right? And texting while driving or being distracted while driving, it certainly doesn't increase your chance to be safe. If anything, it decreases your likelihood to drive safely. Yet we do it. So the question is why? Because we think we can get away with it, that we're, we're fine. We're, we got control over the situation. We can text and drive, no problem. Yeah, yeah nothing's going to happen. Yeah, I, 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 see the, I see the road. I got this. Yeah. I got this. Yeah. It's, it's everyone else around me who suck at driving. I'm good. Exactly. I'm not okay. the problem. Yeah. So that's, a, that's an example of illusory superiority, right? And so I would call that effort-based thinking. Okay. That's effort-based because you think I'm doing the right thing, which preserves this consonance that I'm a good person. I'm smart. I'm well-intentioned. I have consonance. Well, you know what, Carl? You should have dissonance. Because you're being unsafe, okay? That's so when I train people, you can see I get excited and I get passionate about this topic. So effort versus performance is this idea that, well, let me ask you this. What's the difference between amateur and professional? Well, technically, it's uh, amateur doesn't get paid. <laughs> yeah, keep, keep going. That's right. That's accurate. But, but for me, a professional is someone who is a master of their craft. And mm-hmm. when one is a master of their craft, one of the main lessons they learn uh, is that uh, in order to become a master or a trend towards mastery, you must mm-hmm. become 100% present in the task at hand. And the task at hand in terms of driving, if I'm 100% driving, yeah. Formula One driving, I'm not looking down to text, <laughs> right? And, right. and even, even before I get in the car, I've already memorized the track and the route and mm-hmm. the turns and the speed. Uh, so there's, there's um, in my opinion, there's uh, what makes the biggest difference between an amateur and a master or a professional is that the professional knows how to focus on the task at hand. The amateur is, is drowned with uh, 
external uh, uh, stressors and internal stressors and doesn't have the ability to be present in right. the performance itself. Like distractions, right? So, so, and a professional has an intention, right? And so, I, and I'll continue down this path with you because, you know, people, uh, Carl has given me permission to, to, to share whatever's on my mind with this. So I'll share this. People uh, know you from seminars and from your book and from social media, right? But they don't know you as a person. And here's what I could tell uh, people in the audience, that you are this, what people see of you, Carl's a nice guy, he's fun, he's this and that. That's who you are all the time. You are that person. And so that's one of the reasons that I admire you. I think that you're, you're a really sophisticated person. All right, so that aside, there's an intentionality, right, bet- between um, being amateur versus uh, professional. So you go do these seminars, okay? You get up, you're in some hotel in Des Moines or wherever it is that you are, and you go to do this seminar, but you're not feeling good physically, whatever reason, you know, who, who knows? What I can bank on, and I don't even need to be there to see it, is that Carl is going to make every single person in that seminar feel welcomed and special and, and, and excited. How are you able to do that? Well, the way I do it is... I'm there to do a job because I'm a professional and I give people what they paid for. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they have certain expectations. I meet those expectations and then the, the intent is always to surpass that, to, to give them the bonus. Uh, exactly. So, yeah. It's, it's not about me. It's about the outcome. And, 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 and the thing that I will call to your attention is there's no variability in that. That's my point in all that. It's going to happen. You get in a car and you drive from point A to point B. And if you're not distracted, you've got a better chance of driving there safely. So, so the idea of effort versus performance is really just simply getting people to focus on the difference so they can get away from their biases and look at real data, real use real-time information, and make decisions that are best for them. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. So before we get into these uh, tools that are part of TASK, which I'm super yes. excited about, <laughs> it sounds like uh, in terms of communication, everyone is trying to communicate, everyone is effectively communicating, but that doesn't mean that they're getting the outcome that they want. And we must address what kind of effort you're putting into your communication and what you're getting out of it. What you're getting out of it is how we uh, basically measure the performance. Is, is that correct? Am I, am I on track with you here? Yeah, you're on track, but it's super complicated. And so what I, and, and you've worked with me now uh, for several years, and so you know what I'm going to say, which is we should strive to be clear, to be simple, to be compelling, so that when we're communicating, we have the best chance of being effective. And what I found in coaching executives and, and, and business leaders, business owners, I found that people need to walk away with a tool so that they can go and teach other people to communicate or communicate effectively themselves. And so that was really the genesis behind developing the tools. That's awesome. Well, let's, let's get into that right now. Uh, performance-based communication and the tool that you have developed, uh, you call it TASK, T-A-S-K. What is TASK and what does it stand for? 
It's an acronym, right? I, you know, I was totally nerding out because I was trying to come up with these, these uh, communication tools that, you know, people could use. You know, I, I teach, among other things, I do these trainings. And I've, and I've actually taught this particular one over 500 times. I'm teaching it four times next week, actually. And so what I learned uh, to my dismay is that you can spend a day or half a day training people and then when they walk out of your training, there is a rapid decay in the ability to recall the information, right? You, you're a professional trainer. You get this all the time, right? And so uh, that, that, I, this idea frustrated me that people that I thought, hey, I'm doing a really good job getting these people ready to de-escalate a tense situation or be effective communicator. And really all I was doing was just talking. And so there was, I put pressure on myself to come up with something that people could walk away with, put in their pocket, and be able to deploy. And so that, so that turned out to be task. And it started with this idea of uh, treating people, how you treat them. So that's the T. The T stands for treating people with dignity and respect. You my did it again. You did my, it again. <laughs> my put, that, put that thing on silence. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was the buzzer that says I'm making a really good point. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so this idea, okay, this idea that um, you can treat people with dignity and respect, you know, it's, it's, that's, what, that's the golden rule, right? That's not something that I made up, okay? This idea. But here's what I bring to it, okay? is I call to action for people. Treat others with dignity and respect. And here's the, the, the call to action. At all times. See, it gets back to this idea of variability. So if we're doing a really good job on that one tool, Carl, just go about your day and just use that one tool. Here's my call to action to anyone listening. Spend your day treating those around you with as much dignity and respect as you can. And just watch what happens. Watch what happens inside of you first, how you feel. And, you know, because at first you might think, God, that would be so exhausting, right? Oh, it's going to be so exhausting treating people that way. But actually you find out, oh, it actually energizes you if you're doing it. So just treat people with dignity and respect at all times. And that's the challenge. When have you found people not treating people with dignity and respect in your professional career? Wow. How about all the time? I call that job security, right? Uh, people, people have a blind spot. They think, oh, I need to get on this person. Um, I need to get on them and, and fuss at them or, 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 or activate them. Um, to help them uh, achieve something. And that winds up creating tension in the system that now there's this other person who feels irritated, but you feel, you feel good. You feel like, hey, I, I, I did my job. I'm trying to motivate that person or whatever it is, but you didn't. You wind up just creating more tension in the system. Mm -hmm. Which now beautifully leads to uh, what the A stands for, which is the A should stand for anchor. this thing. It's assuming positive intention. You know, this, and it comes from the cognitive dissonance theory, this idea that you know, people are wired to think that they're doing the right thing. So regardless of what someone's doing, you can test this out. Having a conversation with somebody, right? At some point in the conversation, just ask them, 
what their intention behind their behavior is, right? Or more pointedly, hey, what's your positive intention behind this behavior? And let people start sharing their story with you and you start gaining new insights, okay, about their behavior and their motivation. And you start uh, getting the sense of, aha, like, oh, I thought I knew what was happening, but it was a little blurry. Now that I've asked this question, it's so clear why they're doing what they're doing. Like the lady who drove into the lake, it's it's a horrible uh, tragedy or could have been tragedy, right? But once we understood the intention, we became less angry at her and we became more understanding. Now she still has a consequence to pay, right? But we become more understanding. And so that's really the power of alignment. So if you can imagine yourself seeking this information which is why the word assumption is in there. You can assume that it's happening. So if you seek it out, you can now start watching how this alignment in your communication creates more effective communication, which is what I call performance-based communication. Mm-hmm. So when, when, when you're thinking about putting effort into how you're communicating with someone, the first step is to treat people with dignity, respect at all times. So you need to make an effort to be aware of uh, how you're treating people. And then at well, the Hold same- on one second. Hold on one second before you get to the same time. And what I tell people is when you think you're doing it, just ask yourself, make it an obsession for how you're treating people. And that'll be the thing that tells you if you're doing a good job of it or not. Mm-hmm. And so would you agree that that's part of the effort that one puts into uh, communicating, being able to treat people with respect and then at the same time uh, figure out what intention the person that you're talking to has and in yeah, return yeah. be able to assume the positive intent? Yeah, you can assume that it's there. So you don't even need to put any energy into it. It's there. All you need to do is either listen for it, because people will tell you what it is, okay? Mm-hmm. So, it, so, so sorry to interrupt, but yeah. the the um, I think a lot of people, when they hear assume positive intent and that people are operating under positive intent, especially thinking about uh, this woman who drove mm-hmm. into the lake with her kids, um, that's, that's a hard thing to do that. I think that takes mental effort and energy. Would, would you agree with that? Or it's, it's really hard. That's why it's in there. That's, that's why it's in there as the, as the cornerstone of task. Uh, it's, it's, it's not only difficult to do, it's difficult to do consistently. I don't really care that much that people can do something one time or not. I care that they can do it consistently, okay? So that's what I, I look for aptitude. So in that, in that sense, one time is good. You know how to do it. But you need to be able to replicate it, right, with consistency. And you're, Carl, it's a very good observation. that, And I train young clinicians as well. And people who have master's degrees and clinical licenses, they struggle with this. I wrote this. And I struggle with it from time to time, right? So it's a great observation. So that's why the call to action starts with this idea of treating people with dignity because you're more likely to listen if you're actively treating someone with dignity and respect. I like it. 
Um, makes me take a deep breath here. Uh, <laughs> it it's important, and it's uh, it's something that uh, just those two things alone, treating people with dignity and respect, and assuming positive intent, has changed my life. But there are more layers to task, and this is where we get to the S, which <laughs> stands for uh, strengths and solutions. Can you can you talk about the S? Why I, thought that's important? Stood, I, I thought it stood for a secret and I was keeping it a secret. No, <laughs> hopefully not. <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. We're here now. <laughs> yeah. So it started out as strengths and then I, and then I got greedy because solutions also is an S word. And so I added it in there, but strengths, this idea, <clears throat> this idea that people have strengths and that if you are looking for them, you will find them. If you're looking for deficits, you're going to find them. Uh, you have a child. You, you have a child, and, and I don't know if if she was ever uh, had had IEP uh, individual education program school. I, I have a child who had IEPs. One hundred percent. Okay, so tell me if you've had this experience. You walk into a meeting, and for those of you who don't know what IEP is, it's when the teachers gather a few times a year, and they come up with a plan. Yeah, it's an individual uh, education plan. Right. And it starts with the student and the, and the parents <clears throat> come to a room and the teachers uh, all talk about how awful the kid is. <laughs> and after about five minutes, the kid is slouching in the chair, a hoodie up over his or her head. And it all becomes a very negative experience for the child, for the parents. I don't know if that was ever your experience, but I, I've seen that a hundred times in my profession. So I would ask then, okay, what is the positive intent of the teachers in that moment? Yeah, they I want mean, the child to succeed, right? Exactly, exactly. And uh, and I think this is this is one of those things that uh, in the sport of fitness, for example, in CrossFit, yeah. one of the things that we hear all the time is you have to work on your weaknesses. So these athletes and coaches are constantly looking for what you suck at your, your weaknesses and completely neglecting the strengths. So I think this is huge in terms of how we're communicating with the world. Mm -hmm. I Uh, love this because the the example, and it's funny that you shoehorned in a CrossFit example and I did it. That's good. I like that. (laughs) But, but um, I think in the two examples, the one of the school and the CrossFit facility, it's the same exact uh, situation where if you focus on deficits, you get this response. So we see in CrossFit all the time where athletes, they load, they this load too much weight on them. I'm talking about, you know, just regular people, regular classes. People load a lot of weight on the bar and then their form is shit, right? We see that all the time. So, you know, so that what's the strength there? You know, the, and the, the strength is the same for that child in school. They're showing up. Right, the strength is they got out of their house, they got to school, they got to the CrossFit facility, they showed up. Okay, and you build on strength. So the example that I will use to illustrate strengths, it has a little bit of research behind it. So in the United States, around seventy-five percent or so of young people, uh, high school age, they experiment with either substances, uh, alcohol, or uh, recreational drugs. Right. Yet only 10% or so of the adult population have a substance abuse disorder or addiction. So the question then is, what is, this, what is or are the set of strengths that are being deployed to insulate and protect young people from becoming addicted to substances? And that's what we should be looking for. 
whether that's a supportive family or this inherent set of strengths. Uh, and so, so the whole idea of having strengths as task is look for them because they're there. Mm-hmm. So this is a very interesting uh, piece of information you're delivering us here. And it, it sounds like it's responsibility to create environments, structures, systems that are conducive for us to be able to treat people with respect, uh, assume positive intent, and mm-hmm. uh, identify yes. those strengths and solutions. So every single participant, kid, uh, adult that's in this environment uh, gets to express themselves at their fullest. And I think this is uh, where we should be really putting our effort in. But if we don't know how to communicate these things because we don't have these values as a backbone, uh, we're never going to really achieve that and that's exactly right yes okay. and in order and in order to do that this kind of segues into the k of task which is keeping people empowered empowering people to act on those strengths uh seems to be important can you can you talk to me about why the k made it in there and why keeping people empowered is important for you you know you you actually just nailed it and not a lot of people do that when they explore the content. They, they, the idea was to connect the S and the K, meaning strengths and key. Because if someone has a set of strengths and, you, and you're, there's alignment, meaning you understand what they are, the other person agrees that that's their set of strengths, then the odds that you're going to be motivated and want to keep them empowered is high. And secondly, people who are empowered perform. Take that in. Just take that in. Can I give you, can I, can I, can I, while you're taking that in, can I use a real life example that involves you? Please do. Oh, am I? Am I? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell a story. Yeah. Okay, go for it. I won't use names that, uh, or names of organizations. I'll just so um, when I was uh, uh, we were first working together, maybe it was a year or so. And so um, part of what I handle for you is representation, and uh, we were coming up on a on a. Uh, um, a, a second year contract for a very big uh, shoe company, not to be named, a, a sort of world known uh, company. And I was super excited on your behalf and say, "Hey, we're going to do this. this. Is great." Do you, do you remember the situation? And I, of course. okay, Carl, we're we're up for the contract, or you know, we got the conversation happening. You know, what are your thoughts? Do you remember what you told me? I can't remember. Please tell me. You said I want to leave them. I don't want to sign with them again. I want to sign with this company called Strike Movement Mm -hmm. in Canada. And do you remember what I said? You said you're crazy. (laughs) (laughs) No, what you did did say, and this is what what set you apart, and maybe I'm ruining your story right now. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) Is that you, instead of reacting, you responded, and you immediately asked me, what is the intention behind this shift and what is it about this shift that you believe is going to bring you the positive outcome that you're, you're seeking for. And that was a conversation, but maybe you can, you can uh, put some color uh, on this and, and uh, let people know exactly (laughs) what went down. Well, uh, (laughs) 
my, my actually my very first reaction was no. And you'll recall that I, I, I told you, I said, I never say that to my clients. I mean, I'll say no to them, but I'll, I'll always be asking for clarification on things. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. We had a big laugh about it, if you remember. But I, I did do, ask I you do. that. <laughs> and I, and, and you, I remember you telling me how much you appreciated the respect of being asked your opinion about it rather than being lectured about how foolish you were being. And so I think that was an important lesson, you know, for both of us. And, and, it, and the reason that it, 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 I tell this story is because I kept you empowered. You know, you were the talent. And you said, this is what I want to do, Tom. I said, all right, well, let me go investigate it. And I did. And now, what is it, several years later, we're both owners of the company. We, we're both advisors to the company. And, and, it's, and it's a super exciting opportunity. And that never would have happened unless you communicated what you did. And then, and then I communicated with performance with you to get that done. This is very true. And and for those that don't know, we can say I, I used to be uh, in bed with Reebok. And when my contract um, came up for renewal, I decided to leave. And, and Tom here was advising <laughs> me on how, how to do that. And I wanted to invest in a smaller organization uh, called Strike Movement up in Canada, and now we're both part of the company, and we're heavily involved, as as you were saying. And it's the most exciting time. And as you said, we would have never arrived here unless we had had these four things, uh, these four pillars behind our communication at all time, which is treating each other with respect, me being able to hear what you're saying assuming the positive intent on both sides because we want that positive outcome, uh, really defining what are those strengths and solutions that are in place right now on both ends and how did we keep each other empowered. And I think that's what's continued uh, our relationship uh, going strong and we're still uh, achieving many things and it's, and it's exciting. And, and this has transcended just business. It's gone into my personal life and everything I do. And I feel like to come to a gentle land here, as you like to say, <laughs> a gentle stop. What, what, what I, what I want to leave people here with is um, how can they, those who are listening right now, begin to implement task today? I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. What's the expression? Practice makes permanent, right? And I, and I like that distinction because we talk about, um, you know, practice makes perfect. I don't like that expression. I mean, I don't, I, it doesn't keep me up at night. Don't get me wrong. But I don't like that expression, practice <clears throat> makes perfect. But I do like the idea of practice makes permanent. So <clears throat> ask yourself, here's, what, here's the call to action I have for the audience, for myself, for you is you get up in the morning and ask yourself, how important is it for you to be an effective communicator? Just ask that question. How important is it? And I think for most people, it's very important. And so it gets down to this idea of illusory superiority. It's like, let go of the idea that you got this. You know what? You don't got this. Get up in the morning and be hungry. Be hungry to communicate effectively. How the heck do I do that? You start with T. Treat yourself with dignity and respect, right? Have your morning routine, something that's, that, that's 
helps your, your chicken soup for your soul and, and treat everyone around you, make it an obsession to treat them with dignity and just watch what happens. So again, if you just practice each of these skills and here's what I can guarantee you, Carl, and you can tell me if you've had the same experience, it's going to be hard. It's complex. The idea is simple. There's nothing that I've written that's original. I I would take credit for if it was. It's just basic principles brought together to call to action that actually been field tested and it works. People tell me, uh, like like the experience you had, you know, executives will tell me, you know, I started. Tom, is it is it is it cool that I'm using this at home too? It works in my personal life, and I'm like, yes, of course, of course. So practice. That's amazing, Tom. Thank you. Uh, this has been really fun. I I learned a lot, and I've been talking to you for years, <laughs> and, and it's wonderful. So I, I I thank you. I hope everyone who was listening enjoyed it, and I feel like we have to do it again soon. Absolutely, Carl. Thank you so much. Thank this you. Amazing. So awesome. Yeah. And that, my friends, was all for today with Tom Reed talking about performance-based communication, where we learn now that TASK is the acronym that stands for T: treat people with dignity and respect. Keep in mind at all times. A stands for assume positive intent. S stands for strengths and solutions, and K stands for keep people empowered. And those four things can become the backbone of how you communicate. And by simply implementing that today and becoming aware of that, you too can achieve the positive outcomes that we have been talking about in this episode. So my time to say goodbye has come and I would highly encourage you to go give Tom some love on Instagram. His handle is Read T-O-O-M-Y-R-E-I-D. And uh, yeah, give him a little like, give him a little follow and feel free to DM him, ask him some questions. I'm sure he will be happy to hear from you. So for now, uh, this is it for today. This was the Freestyle Way where we talk about maximizing life and I look forward to the next episode. So over and out for me. Peace.